Hello, Kirsty. Hi, Leslie. <laughs> Thank you for. <laughs> yeah, it's so lovely to meet you too. I really enjoy um, the little chat we were able to to have prior to this, and and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, me too. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, my my guest today is Dr. Kirsty Miller, and uh, she is a lecturer based in Scotland. And after completing a PhD in social and clinical psychology, her interests turned to investigating the dangers of groupthink and ideological conformity within academia, which I'm so excited to dive into with you. Uh, Kirsty is committed to open inquiry in science, is a member of the Heterodox Academy, the Society for Open Inquiry in the Behavioral Sciences, and is working towards protecting psychology and academia from the excesses of critical social justice. And, <laughs> and she's a contributor to the new CTA book, uh, Cynical Therapies, which um, I will provide a link for in the description to this video. So um, it's, again, I, I had the honor of interviewing Ben Harris recently, who was also a contributing author. And I am really looking forward to reading more. And, and I'm interested in um, what your uh, what brought you here? I, I, you know, that, that little description uh, is tantalizing and I'm interested in hearing what, where, where these, how did you come to take the positions and have the awareness of these issues that you have now? Wow. That's a really great question. Um, yeah, I, I guess I came to it gradually. Um, I, I completed my PhD in um, social and, and clinical psychology. And I guess I was starting to become aware of some of the issues surrounding, I guess, wokeness. And again, I, I'm aware of the, the associations with that word, but I would say it was kind of before uh, critical social justice kicked in properly, um, especially in the UK, because we tend to be a little bit behind you guys. Um, and I think partly as a social psychologist as well, I was particularly aware of the potential problems with it. So my, um, as I said to you earlier, I guess my by trade, I'm a social psychologist um, and social psychology is all about a kind of how we are influenced by the people around us. Um, specifically in particular, um, European social psychology, um, there's a big focus on groups, um, you know, so group identity, um, how groups can influence us. And to me, when I was seeing sort of, I guess, the, the beginning stages or, or the beginning stages over here of, of, you know, critical social justice starting to be um, taken on board and sort of infiltrating everyday, you know, normal society a bit more. Um, I guess I just started to see some parallels with some really uh, concerning processes that, you know, as a social psychologist, I was aware of. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to say that there's anything special about us, you know, it, it's probably <laughs> processes that everybody's aware of. But um, I think that was kind of what led me to start to look into this more. And actually, through meeting um, a number of psychologists from your side of the pond, um, from the States, um, I started to realize that actually there were people who were also aware of this and were starting to push back against it and were starting to challenge um, some of the narrative, especially the, the huge political bias that there is in certainly social psychology, but I, I would go so far as to say psychology, um, you know, the entire field. I think there's maybe certain subfields that are more, what should we say, like extreme left 
leaning than than others um but i would say the discipline as a whole has been quite taken over um by kind of a political correctness agenda and you know to the extent that some of the things that we're being taught and students are still being taught um you know, they actually don't have evidence to support them or they actually have evidence, you know, so common themes, you know, again, things that are, um, I'm sure you're aware of, you know, things that are used very much in common day, common everyday discussion. So things like microaggressions, things like trigger warnings, you know, these things are actually more damaging to people. Um, you know, the use of these things are actually damaging as opposed to, and I'm sure you know this from your, your own teaching, you know, they are taught very much as a case of, oh, we need to pay attention to microaggressions in order to protect people. You know, we need to give trigger warnings in order to protect people. But actually, you know, the use of these concepts is actually harmful, but the textbooks aren't teaching that, the lecturers aren't teaching that, you know. So for me, when I first came in contact with these isolated, I would say, social psychologists um, in the States, and they were starting to challenge this and push back. And for me, it was just eye opening. It was incredible. I was like, thank God, you know, because these ideas never quite sat right with me. I felt I felt, you know, there's something not quite right here, but it was just all presented as fact. It was very much presented as, you know, this, this is um, the way the world is, and this is actually us pushing, pushing back. So you thought, okay, um, but it just didn't quite sit right with me. And then when I was speaking with these other psychologists, I, I was like, okay, thank God they're articulating the kind of, you know, the ideas that weren't sitting right with me. And then obviously, you know, I, I read more and I learned more. Um, so it's been a very gradual thing, but thankfully, you know, these discussions are out out there a lot more now, which is brilliant. Um, obviously, you know, corresponding with the increased uptake of critical social justice, you know, especially in our organizations, especially in our universities, um, as you've experienced. And, you know, now, obviously, when, when I'm teaching, um, you know, I still am getting shut down if I try and present you know try and show my students you know the evidence to show that actually trigger warnings are not beneficial you know that microaggressions are um you know not really evidence-based and they're deeply problematic you know I am still getting shut down so it's it's difficult but it's good that more people are aware of and people are starting to do research to, to challenge these ideas and, and push back so yeah sorry that was a very long answer to your question <laughs> oh no no that's great um so and when you're when you're saying that you're getting shut down when you're when you're trying to teach these um these concepts about some about microaggressions or trigger warnings are you being shut down by the students by the university itself or what's what's happening there and and also could you say a little bit more about how what what evidence you're presenting that demonstrates the the harmfulness of those concepts? Yeah, I mean, I would say both. And I, I don't want to say all students because I think there are genuinely some students who, dare I say, old, old fashioned students who want to learn. You know, they come to university because they are interested, they want to engage, they want to learn. But there are some, and they may be the minority, who um, very much have, again, as as you know, have control over, you know, I, I would say we are not as administration heavy in our universities in the UK as, as you guys are over there. I know that administration is, is a big problem. Um, administrators, sorry, um, are a big problem. Um, but still, you know, we still have the same issues in the, you know, for example, one of my courses, there was a, literally a one sentence mention of, um, the discussion was about hormones, um, 
you know, just in general, it's, you know, it's, it's beginner level, level psych, you know, psych 101, um, and just discussing sort of biological psychology. So, you know, biological processes in the body. Um, and an example that was given was that, um, so females who are taking testosterone in order to go through a sex change um, are more aggressive. So that was just one sentence, you know, okay. a reference. Um, and a student got in touch and said, um, you know, I find this deeply offensive. Um, it's encouraging stigma against, you know, this group hmm. and, um, and the research is outdated. Now, there's two points there. There's obviously, well, if the research is outdated, obviously that's an issue on our side and we hmm. need to address that. However, the, you know, it encourages stigma and all the rest of it. That's, you know, that's debatable. And also, should we just you know change the course take information out of the course because the student finds it offensive but um as you can imagine the immediate jump from my colleagues was like oh yes we need to move this right away oh wow and I tried to have the discussion and and you know they generally had it quite quite nicely with me um but of course the first thing I did was go to find okay actually is this evidence out of date and I found a systematic review um from I think 2021 um which supported this evidence so I was like well it's it's not out of date and a systematic review as you'll know is is quite a robust um it's almost sort of like the second highest level of of um reliability that we can get in scientific research I mean of course the evidence isn't settled but you know it was still pretty pretty strong evidence um and I told my colleagues that and it was ignored and it was decided that this should be removed because you know it's just too contentious and um you know we don't want to upset the student and you know the student gave them their due they got back and they said thank you very much I'm very impressed with how quickly you dealt with this and I mm. thought yeah <laughs> I'm sure you are <laughs> wow <laughs> we capitulated pretty quickly to that um yeah. So even though the the information was was factually correct, it was yeah. because yeah. it was and it wasn't offensive to the student. Exactly, and it wasn't pointed out to the student like, okay, we're going to take it out, you know, just to keep the peace. But however, the evidence is correct. I mean, I oh, I would have been said that way. Yeah. No, okay. I would have been a little more okay with it if the student had at least been presented with the accurate evidence. Mm -hmm. But they weren't, you know, there was no, and none of my colleagues um, picked up on that either, and. Similarly, um, a, a student had raised an issue, you know, a, another student had actually raised the issue that trigger warnings were problematic, which I, I thought, wow, great. <laughs> you know, I was really pleased about. And I said, you know, great work, well done. Um, and posted a meta-analysis. Again, this is about the highest level of, of research that you can get a meta-analysis, um, which demonstrated that, that demonstrated that sort of, you know, at best, trigger warnings do nothing but at worst they can actually be harmful mm -hmm. so I posted this on, on the students forum um, for my colleagues and the students to see and again it was removed the students post and my post were removed and I wasn't actually told about it and then I, I questioned a colleague who said um, oh yeah we 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 didn't think that was appropriate we took it down because you know we were worried that it'll put other people off um, um, asking for triggers <laughs> asking for trigger warnings and I was like oh you've kind of missed the point the point is that trigger warnings are, are bad for these people you know so surely as an educational establishment we should be aware mm -hmm. of of the evidence the most recent evidence again this meta-analysis I think was maybe last year uh yeah end of last year so very very recent so surely as an educational establishment we should be um you know taking 
taking on board recent evidence and acting on it, you know, both from an educational, but also in this case, from a pastoral point of view, if we are to look after our students, surely we shouldn't be doing something that actually harms them. So, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, so this is, this is um, kind of where universities are. And I think, you know, as in the student who raised the issue to begin with, there are some who really, really want to engage with these ideas, but they don't get the chance because they're shut down by those who don't. And the staff, the, you know, the administration um, immediately capitulate because they're scared. And, or, you know, I don't know, maybe they agree. I, I don't know. You know, I think probably combination is, as you'll know yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it doesn't bode well for either education, but also for the well-being of our students because you think well does this mean we have to remove everything from the course they don't like or does this mean that they just have to sit out of certain classes because and and as you know you know what happens when they go in the real world then is yeah these these conversations have been had a lot I know but yeah it it is tricky but I think especially because my background is more academic, you know, I, I find that, and that's why I'm, I'm so committed to the sort of evidence-based science is because this political bias has taken over so much, you know, it's that we have to push this critical social justice agenda, even though it contradicts evidence, you know, it, even though there's no evidence to support it, you know, um, and even though it's, it's problematic, we still have to push it. And then any, <laughs> any sort of challenges to that are just ignored. So mm -hmm. it's, I don't know where it's going to end up really I think that's where we're where institutions like the University of, of Austin you know that that's what we need you know we need that in the UK we need these well we need them everywhere don't we you know mm -hmm. we need institutions that prioritize uh truth over you know if, if that's what people want if people want to go to critical social social justice um institutions you know all power to them but they should at least admit what they are I feel mm -hmm. <laughs> you know rather than universities pretending they were about education where and and the truth and about science when when they're actually not you know I I just feel that honesty would probably be helpful in that situation <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and I like a like a label that says this is the kind of certification you're going to pick up at this university right. it's, it's got a social right. justice attachment to it but yeah I mean, exactly like your situation, mm -hmm. Leslie. I mean, it's like if you had known at the outset, would you have decided to, you know, study oh, no. there? <laughs> you have paid them your fees? Exactly. No, so no, I wouldn't have. I, and I did. They do have social justice in their tagline. I mean, they're really big on it. it's in their mission statement. But I didn't realize that that was a term of art. I just yes. thought it was a nice sounding phrase. It sounded like, well, yes, I, I'm all for social justice. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. it, it was a package of of beliefs. Yeah. So, yeah. And it sounds like in your experience that you're describing, those two examples are both examples where it's being really pushed by the students and then this, this caving in and capitulation by the administration. And the, where the one where a student had talked about trigger warnings being harmful and you had bolstered that. And then both of those were removed without you being informed of that. And you had to discover that it was in it was yeah. removed. I mean, that that's that's a little uh, that seems like, um, I don't know, impropriety on the part of the administration. Shouldn't they, there have been some process of letting you know that you'd been censored in some way or is this just I think, normal? I think again, it's a case, yeah, you, you would, 
you would hope that someone would have, but I think it was just one of these situations that they didn't want. You know, it's just a case of let's move on from this as soon as possible. Um, it sounds like it's very fear-based on their part. Like they're absolutely running so. from these intense feelings that the students are expressing. Yeah. And I think part of it is because they don't know how to deal with it because at the end of the day, they, there probably is some awareness that, you know, what I was posting, you know, on the one hand, we're saying to students, you know, pay attention to the quality of research. You know, we need to pay attention to the evidence, you know, because psychology still claims at the moment to be a science. And I think that's why psychology has sort of been so prominent in the whole sort of culture war thing is that it's kind of where there is such a clash because on the one hand, we do claim to be evidence-based, but then on the other hand, it is so overtaken with social justice and a lot of these ideas have come from, from psychology or at least been inspired by and encouraged by psychology. So there is, you know, as John Haidt talks about a lot, you know, there's this inherent inconsistency mm -hmm. that, you know, truth and social justice are just not incompatible. They're, sorry, they're not compatible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in that case, you know, as I say, we're telling students, you've got to pay attention to evidence and, you know, look at the quality of evidence. And what I provided was good quality evidence, but they didn't know how to deal with it because on the other hand, they are telling students, you know, trigger warnings are important. If you're at all upset, tell us and we'll, you know, change everything to accommodate you. Mm -hmm. So how do they, you know, how do they balance those two situations? And I think what, again, my problem with that most of all, well, apart from the safety for the student, you know, the student's well-being is that ultimately I was providing students with um, an aspect of education, you know, I was showing them evidence and by deleting that, you know, they are stopping the students from learning something, you know, they are choosing, no, no, students don't get to learn about that. Students don't get to hear about this evidence. Mm -hmm. They don't get to hear this perspective, this side of the story. And I think that is what I find most concerning because, I mean, that is censorship, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's very much a case of no students don't get to hear about that. And not only was the original, you know, the student being censored, but so was a member of staff. So, you know, there were, there were two people here. And I think, yeah, I think they were just hoping that I wouldn't realize and the whole thing would just go away. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It is interesting. And and have you ever seen anything like this before in your study of, of social science, wherein people are so emboldened and so convinced of their righteousness that they're that it it, it strikes me like if you, you you can have people who believe a religious belief very fervently. And many, many people do. Many people are deeply religious and and believe with their whole heart that that they are um correct and that their beliefs are are fundamentally true but you still don't see those people standing up in school in mass telling the teacher that they're wrong and they should only teach it this way i mean we still have some respect for the academic process you don't see fundamentalist christians going into the colleges and demanding that everything conform to their belief system you know i'm, I'm yeah. so this yeah. this just is this it's this religious there's a religious aspect to it, but without an awareness that it's a religion. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if I'm articulating that very well, but I'm curious, like what I, I think of like the red guard, I think of like these, these times when people are possessed by ideology so strongly that anyway, would you, what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And I think the interesting thing about critical social justice is that it, yeah, you're right. It's so bound up with righteousness, isn't it? And it's so, and I, I think it's a combination of things. And again, there, there's people much more qualified to talk about this than me, but I think it's a, a combination of sort of um, the, dare we say the coddled generation, um, you know, sort of coming of age, um, combined with um, a big sense of entitlement. And, and again, you know, some of that has been encouraged by universities, for example, you know, again, the student is very much treated as consumer. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you kind of think, well, you know, if they're paying vast sums of money, should they get to dictate what they're taught? I personally don't think so, but you know, it's, it's maybe a question. <laughs> um, so I think there's a combination of things coming together, at very much a lack of intellectual humility, you know, very much a case of, you know, sort of my way, you know, at, at university, it sort of manifests as, you know, um, I am right. And, you know, if you don't agree with the grade I, I should get, then you are wrong <laughs> and you should increase my grade. Um, but, you know, I think the, the critical social justice is the same to the extent that this is the worldview that is right, you know, and it's, it's kind of maybe tied in with what you were saying earlier about the language that is used. Um, and I know James Lindsay does a lot of, uh, you know, talks a lot about this, the, the language that is used, um, you know, the idea of social justice, because on the face of it, you know, it, it sounds great. You know, of course, we all believe in just justice. You know, we we believe, you know, or most people anyway, um, you know, they want to be good people. They want to, um, you know, um, see a just and fair world. So I think as well, you know, it's it's kind of tied in with the worldview as well that, you know, I think it, it is quite a left-leaning concept, you know, is very much tied up with morality and what, it, no, that's not fair because I, I know conservatives, I think very much the sort of, um, if, if you don't believe in justice, if you don't believe the same as us, you're a bad person, I think is quite a unique, mm -hmm. a unique concept sort of associated more with um, sort of the left-leaning mm -hmm. um and universities tend to be very left-leaning again especially when you get to fields like psychology for example um and I think I think it's a combination of all of these things and I, I realize I'm, I'm not really helping answer your question at all um but I think it is very much this kind of firm belief but also the sense of identity you know getting this sense of identity and this sense of of righteousness from what we believe which again is I think is very not necessarily the righteousness that's again that's not fair but you know uh, but sort of religious isn't it you know very much I get my sense of morality I get my sense of who I am from my religion and in this case the religion is is critical social justice um and therefore it's I mean again for me from a sort of a social psychological perspective you know it's you know going back to the group thing like the sort of group identity is very much you know you take on board uh, the groups that you're part of, you take that into your identity. And I think, you know, I think we've seen a lot more of that as well, you know, maybe to do with partly the decline in, in real religion. <laughs> you know, I think people are feeling a lot more lost, a lot more sort of looking for something to belong to. Mm -hmm. And especially in such an uncertain world, you know, even within recent years, you know, there's so much um, turmoil and uncertainty with so many aspects of life that I think people are looking very hard for something to sort of latch themselves to something to believe in and I think that this 
um, you know, social justice offers offers on the face of it what seems to be a very positive, a very, um, you know, it's an identity that can make you feel good about yourself, right? You know, I'm a good person and I am championing the cause of, of you know, all the oppressed and, you know, I'm trying to make the world a better place. And, and it powerful, very um, powerful concept because it gives you a whole load of privileges, you know, ironically, <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes you very powerful. And I think, again, that fits in very well with, you know, youngsters, especially who are struggling, they're struggling with their identity, they're struggling with who they are, they're struggling out there in the world. So, being a victim is a very handy identity to have. You know, people make allowances for you. People give you things, you know, people give you extra standing. You know, all of a sudden you've gone from a person who maybe didn't know who you were, you didn't know your place in the world. And then suddenly you're you're kind of like heralded as like, oh, you know, this, this is someone important. You know, we need to look after them. We need to protect them. We need to give them these privileges. So again, I think there's so many factors coming to play at the same time, which which is fascinating, um, especially from a psychological perspective. But I think it leads us to a very messy situation. And I think especially when people start to take these ideas into their identity, that's when we see that kind of viciousness that we see in, in retaliation in terms of because like for all of us, you know, if if we face attacks on ourselves, on who we are, you know, even as individuals, you know, if we're attacked, we tend to get defensive, we tend to retaliate. And if we're attacked in terms of what is very much the, the core of our being, I think, you know, we are going to respond aggressively and kind towards that. And I think that is kind of again, played a big part in, in where we find ourselves now is that, you know, there's there's not discourse, you know, there's not discussions. But these discussions, are, like we say, you know, these discussions are shut down. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't believe this narrative, then, you know, you're by definition a bad person. You know, you don't have morals, you don't care. You're, you're obviously, you know, an evil person. Um, but you're also a threat. You know, you're a threat to what we believe. And, and again, you know, in some of the, the rhetoric that was used in the response to you you know it was very much that you were you know you were portrayed as as a threat mm -hmm. um you know your ideas you know sorry but i guess you know by <laughs> by association you as well um you know you were a threat to this way of thinking just purely by virtue of you presenting a different perspective and challenging theirs and rather than saying okay you know let, let's let's discuss this you were shut down mm -hmm. and again you know that sort of goes back to the re religious um sort of imagery as well isn't it that you you were you know banished <laughs> and um yeah and and I think as well a lot of this stems to the fact that critical social justice is such a weak theory it's so so weak so in a way it's astounding that it is taken over to the mm -hmm. extent that it has but again it's it's a theory that suits so many agendas you know it it works for a lot of people I think on an individual but also on an on a sort of um larger scale basis and it 
it fits in with life, you know, current lifestyle where, you know, so much is online now, obviously. And, and we do communicate in sound bites and, you know, we see the TikToks, we see Twitter, all the rest of it, you know, it's certain amount of characters, certain amount of seconds. Um, and it's full of these catchphrases, right? It's full of these, you know, um, meaningless, <laughs> usually um, catchphrases, um, but they're very easy to throw out there very quickly. And again, it's like, you know, here I am, I'm a very righteous person, person, I'm a very virtuous person, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, believe all women, you know, what, whatever it is, whatever the current slogan is. Um, and you chuck it out there in a tweet or, a, um, you know, a TikTok and people are like, oh yeah, you know, and, and that's kind of reinforced by, again, the, the nature of social media. So again, I think that sort of comes into it. Um, so, but there's no room in these things for people to actually challenge, you know, one, they don't want to be seen, most don't want to be seen to be challenging because then they would look like a bad person. And again, appearances matter, especially in the social media world that we're in. Um, but also it doesn't allow for proper discourse. It doesn't allow us to discuss what ultimately are very complicated issues, you know, things like, um, you know, people's rights, they are very complicated, especially when they conflict with other people's rights. You know, the trans movement, for example, is incredibly complex. Um, you know, how we how we deal with that. Um, but the discourse that we have nowadays does not allow for that. But that suits certain people's agenda, you know. So, yeah, sorry, again, that's a very long answer, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, you're bringing up a lot of really great points, like the, the tightly held, how closely aligned people are with their beliefs uh, it's to to the degree of identification with those beliefs that so there's no separation from self and conviction of, of these things and that would that is that that really does go a long way towards explaining the fervency of the the, the yeah. way that these are being pressed and yes and i think that also the simplicity of the communication the sound by the the appeal of these little tidy platitudes really that that who could disagree with i mean who could disagree with saying a statement like black lives matter nobody could ever disagree with that it's just fundamentally true but it but it's and the same thing with like the 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 phrasing of social justice like like you said good people want justice right we we're good people we want these things and we we care about society and we care about others so it, it's just that it's the tip of an iceberg that that underneath is this immense conceptual framework that you're agreeing to when you take that on and you don't realize that you're doing it yeah so I'm, i think that's how people get sucked in right mm -hmm. is that you know exactly as you were saying you know when you first looked at your university you know yeah you see something about social justice but you're like, okay you know mm -hmm. you don't really pay much attention yeah. you know that, that sounds reasonable um and I think that's how a lot, it's the same as anti-racism, you know, that's that's a huge one, isn't it? It's that, you know, people of course say, of course I'm anti-racist, mm -hmm. you know, of course I, I, don't, I don't support racism, but being anti-racist means something very, very specific mm -hmm. and they don't know what they're signing up to. And it's mm -hmm. exactly as you say, it's, it's the same thing, right? Yes, and then you have people championing the the bumper sticker version of a thing, not realizing that what they're promoting <laughs> is actually the underlying agenda. So, yeah. 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 And I, it, when it comes to um, one, so kind of a segue from this is I, I, when I studied social psychology in undergrad, one of my favorite concepts was the concept of in-group, out-group dynamics. 
And I understand that that's something that, that, that you have spent a lot of time sort of examining. And I've thought many times one of that, some of the things that we're trying to discuss here, when we talk about race from a social justice perspective is just a dumbing down of the concept of in-group out-group dynamics and a oversimplification of that. And, and I wonder, do you have some thoughts on that, that you, any, yeah. any work you've done on that? Yeah. So, um, so my chapter in in um, cynical therapies um, actually looks at that, and and it's actually based on um, <laughs> it's based on a paper that I actually read when I was I was a student myself, and and it really stuck with me because it, I felt it was such a powerful theory. I would recommend actually reading it. So I'll I'll give you that actually oh, afterwards. Okay. Um, yeah, if if you're interested in social psychology, it's a very readable paper, but um, it's actually looking at basically you know one for, for me anyway and, and I think the reason that a lot of people go into psychology is to understand people you know or understand you know the, the big events and for me um you know I often start off social psychology looking at some of the biggest um I guess the most relevant social psychological um events shall we say and and I talk a lot about the second world war um and this paper actually looks at that, you know, basi basically, you know, I talk to my students about how can we understand horrors on the scale of the Holocaust, for example, you know, how can we understand people behaving in a way that for most of us, thank God, um, you know, we can't, we, we still can't really conceptualize, we can't really get our heads around. Um, and, and I think for me that that is one of the big challenges is that you know and social a lot of social psychology is is actually born from that is trying to understand specifically the events of the second world war and um yeah so this paper that i read um it looks at um it's gonna let me just double check so i'm not mis misquoting here but um it's called making virtue of evil uh so making a virtue of evil sorry so basically turning evil into a good thing mm -hmm. and and that really struck me so the the idea basically is that it doesn't really bad things don't necessarily always come about because of evil people actually oftentimes they don't come about because of evil people often bad things can you know or people can do really bad things to each other because what they genuinely believe they are doing they genuinely believe that what they are doing is right so they are genuinely, you know, believing that they are righteous, you know, that, that they are doing something that is good. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, think that they are being a bad person. They don't think that, you know, they're maybe aware that, yes, I'm harming someone else, but they actually think that harming someone else is necessary to the extent that it might actually even be a good thing. Mm. And this really stuck with me. And and basically, um, the paper um, it applies this theory to to Nazi Germany. So basically, the idea that you know there's there's a huge amount of obviously the of concepts that go into this, um, but basically the idea that a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of the sort of most instrumental people in Nazi Germany, um, went along with or engaged with or were actively um, quite almost creative. Um, because they genuinely believed that they were getting rid of a mortal threat to the German way of life. And when you think about a lot of the, the rhetoric associated with, you know, the propaganda, you know, there was a lot of 
promoting, um, sorry, promoting, you know, but kind of uh, picturing Jews as, as almost vermin, you know, very much unclean. You know, there was a lot of imagery associated with, um, you know, insects, rats, you know, dangerous, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of parasitic sort of imagery used. And this was very, very intentional. You know, the idea was to present a group of people as being um, a literal threat to, uh, you know, the the good German people's um, way of life. You know, the Jewish people were literally, um, you know, a danger to them. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, there's a huge amount of like rhetoric um, associated with this, but Hitler worked very hard at, you know, presenting German people as virtuous, you know, very much case of they were clean people, <laughs> you know, the the sort of idea of the master race, you know, it was pure, it was uncontaminated. So using this kind of like in-group, out-group, you know, there was very much the pure master race, you know, and, and he was very, very explicit about that, you know, and it, we have the concepts of sort of almost the blonde Aryan, you know, the blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he he really played on that, but but very much this idea of sort of German virtue, you know, we're hardworking people, we're good people, we're just trying to, you know, we need to try and sort out some of the chaos that was going on in Germany at that time. Um, and all the blame for this was put on the Jews at the same, you know, the outgroup. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very powerful strategy because when you view it that way, you can see how, you know, just everyday people were like, oh, but, you know, I'm really struggling to put bread on the table. I'm really struggling, you know, I, I need to look after my kids. I need to fit, feed my kids, you know, and I need to try and survive. And then if at the same time you're being told, and again, we see this rhetoric with like refugees, for example, you know, it's still used today. It's still very much a very powerful tool. You know, these people are threatening our way of life. They're threatening our resources. They're threatening, you know, and it it allows us to say, okay, well, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter if if we kind of, don't let them in our country. It doesn't matter if we, um, you know, if we treat them badly or we we turn away when they're begging on the streets, you know, mm. it doesn't matter if we just put them away in a different, you know, in a different building, you know, a different different estate, um, you know, so it's it's easy to see how, how these steps can sort of follow. Um, it sounds like they kind of tied the, the imagery, it sort of played on people's disgust sensibilities too and sort of, and that would decrease empathy towards that group and then again it's that bumper sticker kind of thing where it's an over simple concept that people can just grasp if they're low information seeking in that in that realm so it's just a very neat and tidy way to subtly shift people's attitudes towards an entire group absolutely and the dehumanization thing is a really that you picked up on that's a really important aspect of it as well and I think for me, this this sort of theory, you know, so there's a whole lot of steps that, that sort of take you to this. So first of all, you know, to get back to your in-group, out-group idea is, is the kind of see, you know, as soon as you put yourself in one group or see yourself in terms of like a group identity, you know, mm-hmm. be it, you know, female, be it, you know, German in that case, you know, um, you know, whatever, you know, based on interest, you know, conservative, whatever. Um, as soon as you put yourself in in this sort of group or see yourself or take on board into your identity, um, you know, this in-group, then by definition, you're going to have an out-group. You're going to have, mm-hmm. you know, a group that is is not you. So you, you've automatically sort of caused this split. And again, that's what we saw in Germany. You know, we saw, um, obviously, the 
the Nazis using this, you know, there was very much the master race, you know, the pure, the pure bread. Mm -hmm. And then there was all others who could potentially contaminate. So they were the, the out group. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next step is, is kind of like we've seen, you know, very much implying sort of virtue, um, applying um, positive attributes to your own group mm -hmm. and negative attributes to the other group. And then finally, as you know, as I said, then it's a very easy step from that, you know, especially if you present the outgroup as being literally a threat, it's a very small step then to, to start to justify, you know, potentially mistreating, you know, potentially harming. Um, and we've seen that, you know, we've seen that through history, you know, obviously the original example was, was applied to, to Nazi Germany most, um, most predominantly, but, you know, we see that through groups now, but the really interesting thing about critical social justice, and it's this parallel that I draw in the book, is that they basically do this process for us. You know, critical social justice is all about, as you know, dividing society in terms of groups. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is that these groups are based on um, power, you know, so we have the oppressed and we have the oppressors. Mm -hmm. So they have done all the work for us. You know, they have created an in-group and an out-group. You know, we have we have women who are oppressed by men. We have um, white people who are oppressed, um, everybody else. Um, we have, you know, um, in terms of sexuality, mm -hmm. you know, we have heterosexual people who are oppressed. You know, so literally they have split society according to, you know, their version of... Um, you know, in groups and out groups, it's like, you know, if you're, you know, and of course, then if you're in the oppressed group, then you're good. You know, you're, you're very much the victim, you know, going back to what we were saying about victims, you're very much, you know, it's like, oh, per you, you know, you've been oppressed for centuries and, you know, and you can see how easily this rhetoric comes around, you know, it's like, oh, look, there's, there's the evil men who have been oppressing us women for, you know, for centuries. Um, and you can see how, it becomes justified for us to say, but we're going to fight, we're fighting back against that. You know, we're being unfairly oppressed. We're having our rights taken away from us. We're having our, um, you know, they're, they're still trying to take away our identity. They're trying to stop us from being who we can, you know, our, our best selves. Um, so it's very easy then for us to sort of justify retaliating and for other people watching to say, well, actually, you know what? I can see why they did. I can see why they kicked back against that. And and then as I say, you know, critical social justice has done this very, very powerfully, very easily, you know, because the whole theory is, is basically on the idea, exactly as you say, of splitting in groups and out groups. Um, you know, when we apply that to therapy, you know, if I go to the therapy room, um, you know, if I go to a therapy room and the therapist is a critical social justice um, therapist, mm -hmm. they will say, oh, any problems you have are due to you being a woman. You know, so for me, they have told me which group I'm part of. So they've told me that my in-group is female. Mm -hmm. um, and they've told me that any problems I experience are because I'm oppressed by men. Mm -hmm. So they've already told me, okay, you know, you're the victim, you're the good one here. Men are the bad ones here. And the way to get around this is for you to push back against this oppression. So they have basically created this entire narrative for me. And as you know, um, you know, that's highly unethical for so many reasons, but also it's not taking into account, you know, 
is being a woman important to me? You know, personally for me, it actually really isn't. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't view myself, um, you know, on an everyday basis. I don't really think about my femaleness. Um, so for me, if I was experiencing depression and I went to therapists and they're like, oh, it's because you're oppressed by men, mm-hmm. it would be such an irrelevant issue for me. Mm-hmm. But they would just be like, oh, it's because you've, you know, you haven't accepted that, you know, and they would, they would then tell me, <laughs> you know, how I was, you know, and, and helped me to see how I'd been oppressed. But again, when you think of the consequences of that for society, it is so divisive, it's so divisive, you know, that the whole, um, exactly as you said, you know, the in-group, out-group thing, it, it's there in the, in the, the words, right? It's there in the title that it, it's so, so divisive and, I think that's what we see in the world, right? When we look around us is how divided the world has come. Um, and I think the thing with critical social justice is that the whole point of the theory is to divide society. You know, that that's the point of it. But they have also been very sneaky. And again, to go back to your, your earlier point, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> so sorry about that. That's okay. Um, to get back to your earlier point, um, it's the the righteousness associated with it. So they've not only split the world that they look at in terms of you know these predefined groups. It's that you're either with us or you're against us. And again, we see this rhetoric used all the time. You know, it's very much a case of you know the silence is violence thing. Again, your bumper sticker. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if you are not with us, if you are not supporting our cause, and if you're not championing you know women's rights or trans rights or whatever, then that means you're against us. So they have created an extra level of in-group, out-groups mm. by saying, well, critical social justice is the way to see the world. You know, if you're a good person, if you're a righteous person, you know, if you care about the world, this is what you believe because by its nature, it's very exclusionary. You know, it doesn't sit, it doesn't allow other theories. It doesn't allow other ways of viewing the world. So it's very much the case of if you don't view the world this way, you are the outgroup, you're the bad person mm-hmm. and you have to be destroyed. <laughs> you know, you have to be challenged, you have to be shut down, you have to be closed down. Um, so they have been very clever with it. But then you also have to be an activist. So Yes, exactly, yes, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they've, again, it's it's drawing in the sort of activism, exactly as you say, you know, that the kind of, the sense of meaning, the sense of, of righteousness and, um whether it's all intentionally done I don't know or whether it's just that so many variables have come into play at the same time and it's created this this um you know sort of unique situation yeah Um, I don't know something I want to ask you about I want to ask you your thoughts on this because as you're you're giving examples that are really um that I think were really tangible to us right now like the the holocaust world war ii and then um I I often think of the um the Chinese Cultural Revolution and the the way that the anti, I think it was the anti-Han sentiment and was drummed up. Um, these were, but these are, in both of these examples, like if you think about the way that the Jews were targeted, it was the Aryans were the good and then the, the Jews and anybody who was like different racial makeup or disabled or whatever, any, if you were part, there was a clear in and a clear everybody else and yes. and something that's a i i think is is a little different in the social justice um world view is that it's very splintered 
you have your mm -hmm. intersectionality. So you have your intersectional categories, which splinters society into millions of I mean, like potential uh, right. mixtures, right? But it also splinters the individual. And so you're, you're, you are, the, yes, there's like LGBTQIA or whatever, however long the, the, the acronym wants <laughs> to get, because I've seen it go really long now with yeah. numbers and things in it, or, um, or everybody else, the, the cis, straight, heteronormative, whatever. So that's in and there's out. But then that same person could also be oppressive in their racial category or oppressive in their econo economic category or have English speaking um, privilege or, you know, um, all these. So you've got your your identity split. It, so is this brilliant and it fractures us even further or is it have they overplayed their hand and this is the thing that's going to undo this system? I mean, uh, now I'm, that's a big speculative like yeah. topic, but, but w it does seem like it's different in that regard. This, the splintering of the in and out. Yeah. That's such an excellent point. Yeah. I, <laughs> much the way I hate to, I think partly, you know, part of the brilliance as well with it is that, it is incoherent, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's the hierarchy of victimhood, um, you know, and again, I think that the trans issue is a really good one as well, right? Because, you know, we've gone from women are the victims, you know, it's, it's a good issue, illustrative issue, because we've gone from women are the victims to all of a sudden, you know, there's a category below that where, you know, trans people are more of a victim, but, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them are men, so then you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought, you know, you know, women trump men in terms of victimhood. So how how is that working? You know, and then Amanda's the women are the oppressor. Then in the case of like the turf, right? So you've got, it, yeah. it's, it's layers. Yeah, and yeah. and to be honest, I have I've seen like you know, <laughs> feminists livid about this. You know, and and the cynical part of me thinks, you know, is it just because all of a sudden you're not the victim now you know <laughs> you've you had that taken away from you um but no I, I obviously I, I sympathize with a huge huge amount of the issues there but um but yeah I think that, you know it, it is so inconsistent and I think that that is part of the beauty of it is that there's no logic to it you know and, and people who champion women's rights at the same time I've seen them championing championing um you know trans rights and you're like they're absolutely incompatible you know mm -hmm. they're you know, and I think, but that's the whole point. I mean, that's why it, it won't stand up to logical criticism um, and it can't. So that's why they shut down, you know, they shut down um, discussion. Um, but yeah, the splintering of the sort of intersectionality, I think it it does make things more, more sorry, more complicated, doesn't it? Because, you know, the, the thing like the original so social identity theory is very much that, you know, you're, we have any number of identities, you know, any number of social identities, and they are, they're salient, they're relevant at different times. So, you know, if, if you or I went to a party and it was a room full of men, we might feel quite aware of our female identity, mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas in another situation, um, you know, if I went to an academic conference, I'd probably be quite aware of my academic identity mm. you know so our identity you know different identities are relevant at different times um so actually you know the intersectionality actually fits in quite well with that because you can have any number of identities sort of going and relevant at the same time 
in terms of the victimhood thing, and then once we get into, you know, like you say, the sort of splintering. Um, so I guess it just means that we have multiple outgroups, <laughs> you know, so it means we can be angry at many more people, um, mm -hmm. you know, consider many more people a threat. Um, which again, I think sort of, you know, works in critical social justices favor because again it, it gives you so many more ways that you can claim to be a victim and therefore people can't challenge you you know so it's like you know people just end up like backing away and just you know are like I'm not even going to try and engage in that conversation because mm -hmm. you know there's so many ways that they can be accused of being a bigot um you know and I, I guess it does you know, and I guess it does fit in. It's sort of a self-perpetuating cycle, isn't it? Because the idea is that the more oppressed identities you have, the harder your life is. Mm -hmm. But if you're taught, well, actually, you know, you're black, but you're also a female, but you're also disabled. If you're taught that all of these different things are going to make you more and more um, disadvantaged in life, mm -hmm. you're going to feel worse. <laughs> And you're going to end up resenting more and more categories, aren't you? You're going to end up resenting more and more groups and feeling angry towards them and, and trying to, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, what, well, what do you think the end goal is? Yeah, that, that is exactly, <laughs> that's exactly the question I was going to ask you is, is yeah. like, if we, if we go back and look at these examples, World War II, there's a, it seems to me that the end goal is fairly clear. It's the elimination yeah. of a certain group of people in the society. So um, as heinous as that is, it's a clear goal. And with social justice, if we're looking at what is being done and we're saying, well, you know, if you said it's, it, it works in its favor, but what does it work in its favor towards? It seems like the end goal, as far as I can tell, is just conflict. It's just to create <laughs> conflict. Is, and it, is there any, what it, what, logically is there any other end goal that there could be besides just a stew of conflict <laughs> I, th I think that's that's a perfect analogy um I guess and I you know dare we say that their end goal maybe is the eradication well I mean for them it's all about power right so it's mm -hmm. the eradication of any of the groups that are considered to be powerful and, you know, as, as you were saying, again, it's a really nice analogy about all these splinter groups is that I guess the more, the more grievances you, you can have, the more oppressed identities you can have, mm -hmm. that means that there's more and more oppressors. So that gives us more and more people who can be seen to be privileged in any way that we can take down mm -hmm. because I kind of feel like, and it's very, it's very blunt, but it, it you know, it's almost like the power thing is, it's almost like a sort of jealousy. It's, it's almost like, you know, I see anybody who is better than me in any way, <laughs> you know, be it looks, be it um, income, be it where they are born, their skin color, that, you know, it, as you say, it, it's just endless. Um, and it's, it, it's, like constantly trying to big, bring down people who are better than you mm -hmm. in any spectrum, you know, in any, in any way whatsoever, in any characteristic. Mm -hmm. So, you know. At, yes, it's an interrogation of every social dynamic for who has the benefit and who should yes. I re direct yeah. my resentment towards in, in this yeah. particular dynamic. And so with that splintering, it's like, 
you know, uh, there's people who say that the social justice, the anti-racism is just anti-white. And I think, yes, so obviously it is anti-white, but I don't think that's all it is because yeah. there's also white adjacency. So it's also anti, you know, if we, if, if they were to yeah. succeed in like, let's eliminate whiteness and eliminate white people, then it would be the Asians would be up next. And then it would be who's mixed raced and who's got light skin because now you've got light skin privilege and I'm seeing that. And so it's, it's a kind of a purity spiral in that way and yeah. so it seems like there's endless possibility for that perpetual conflict there and it's not so simply anti-white in this in the sense like that that hitler would be anti-jew or whatever yes. you know yeah i think that's really important distinction to make is that you know that the examples we were talking about there has been one one clear goal i mean of course i'm sure that, you know there are sub goals as well but you know the clear goal is the creation of the master race or or whatever you know mm -hmm. whereas i think you're absolutely right with critical social justice i think i think probably the goal is to uh, or certainly the goal that they would try and claim is to you know redress power imbalances um you know is maybe the sort of equality idea so you know again there's a lot of talk of the sort of like similarities with communism mm -hmm. um but I think you're right. I don't I don't think it's quite as simple as that. I mean, and I, I wonder how much of it does play into this victimhood thing is that if you're a victim, you're well, if you have a grievance, I guess that's where we come to the sort of grievance studies idea, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I love, you know, the the kind of um, you know, if you have a grievance with someone, you are constantly looking for you know, you're just constantly unhappy and you're constantly <laughs> looking for ways to blame other people. And it's very much this sort of negative spiral of victimhood and grievance and anger and resentment to other people. And I think if that is your mindset, which is very much the mindset that, that critical social justice encourages, is, is if you're of that mindset, you're constantly going to be looking for someone else to blame you know you're constantly going to see yourself because again that's what it encourages and that's what therapists encourage is you're constantly seeing yourself as a victim as a suffering um because of other people and if that's the way you view the world you're never going to you're never going to finish like you say you're never going to finish finding other people to blame mm -hmm. you know you're never you know whether it's oh well they're more attractive than me they grew up somewhere different you know they had you know they were an only child and I had brothers and sisters you know you're never going to run out of things to blame other people for and if that is your mindset if you want to blame other people rather than just sorting your stuff out yourself um you know I think there's there's um you've got ammo forever <laughs> you know so it, it's that constant but you think, as as you said, you know, is is that their goal, just to keep people in this perpetual cycle of blaming other people? I mean, I guess for the individuals, it's it's easier, and I think that's why a lot of people fall into this trap of victimhood, is because it's easier to blame other people, right? It's so much easier than to actually try and deal with things yourself, and that is why it's very tempting. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, we've all been in situations like that where it would be so much easier to to blame someone else rather than take you know take responsibility and that's why things like cbt are so effective because mm -hmm. they encourage the individual to you know take responsibility mm -hmm. um but you know again there's a huge anti-cbt movement because it's come along with um oh i didn't even know that that's really interesting 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's a story for a whole other. Day. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people trying to get rid of that. Um, and again, it, it buys into this victimhood mentality because, you know, it's easier. And of course, someone is going to rather go to a therapist who says, oh yeah, of course you feel depressed because the world is unfair and everybody's against you. Mm-hmm. It's much, it's worse for you, but it's much easier for you to cope with rather than addressing the problems within yourself that are going to help you overcome and actually lead a successful and, and happy life, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's really hard to figure out, isn't it? It's really hard to figure out an end motive. Um, and I'm sure, you know, some of our colleagues who are, who are experts, um, you know, who have really studied this a lot, maybe, maybe have some theories on that. Um, yeah I mean I don't I don't know what you what you think <laughs> yeah yeah no I think that's fascinating and it's it's really well yeah we could talk about it all day and just scratch the surface I think so uh, yeah yeah I mean I would love to hear what other people think as well because I, would I think too. you know it's such a tough one to figure out isn't it and, well and, and, and I do hear lots of people with suggestions for what they think it is and it, and it, and again, many of those are also very simplistic and maybe it is, maybe something simple is the answer. Um, you know, keep us squabbling amongst ourselves while the bankers roll in central bank digital currency. And that's the whole point of the social justice thing is just to, to keep our eyes off of bigger and more important things that are going on while our, while our world is being recrafted to suit moneyed interests and we are kept busy being yeah. you know distracted yeah. yeah so and, yeah. and maybe it is that simple but uh, but it is it's certainly a very very interesting topic and it's interesting how if i mean it's fascinating and horrifying but fascinating to watch how effectively it has taken hold and how it it, it seems very quick to me i mean i i know some people say oh i saw this coming back in the 80s or it's been coming along well i didn't see it coming <laughs> i'll tell you i mean i i and <laughs> And I can look back at my own uh, sort of mindset and worldview er in earlier times and think, well, I was kind of naive to some things that now I see as red flags that we're building towards this. But even with that in mind, we we all have um, 50-50 in hindsight, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so, but, but I still feel like there was a punctuated spike that occurred in recent times that that it, that pressed down the accelerator on this in in a way that I certainly didn't see coming. It feels like it was meant to be a gentle upward curve, and instead we've had a, you know, just a a complete vertical leap in yeah. in how much we're experiencing. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there were rumblings, you know, previously, but I mm-hmm. think they were also quite confined to academia, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, yeah, I think. And it possibly is a combination of the things that we were just talking about is that it suddenly leapt out of academia. And I think possibly partly due to things like social media, possibly as well, like we're saying the sort of coddled generation, you know, the generation who have always been kind of protected. And, you know, so of course they're going to gravitate towards a theory that actually says, you know, actually nothing's your fault. You know, everything's always everybody else's fault. Um and also, you know, that the world is tough right now. And I think it, it's easier, like we say, to adopt that. Um, and and it's really tough to, and then like we're saying as well, you know, people are, again, sort of social media that encourages talking in sound bites. People are not, 
as able or people do, you know, that that sort of, I think, channeled our discourse into mm -hmm. these sound bites, mm -hmm. which, you know, whether critical social justice is just, you know, absolutely, um, <laughs> you know, sort of made the most out of this or whether it was, you know, by design, you know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, but I think mm -hmm. it has very much, there are so many things that have worked in its favor, you know, and I think technology is a lot of them, you know, and, and that's obviously a topic for another day, but. Well, I, I think would it, love to explore that topic at some point because I oh, really definitely. also see the the dovetailing of technology with this as being an, a, a really important aspect of what we're experiencing. Yeah, definitely. So I'd be think, super interested in that discussion. Yeah, well, John Haidt actually, I think has just really recently um, published something about um, liberal females in particular um, and kind of the mental health and the tie-in with with things like social media as well. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think it's, these ideas are fascinating and I would love to hear, um, yeah, other people's perspectives on kind of what has, you know, sort of accelerated this, as you've said, because mm -hmm. I, I think you're spot on. And and especially, I think your, your question about what is the end goal, I guess that's, you know, please, please keep asking that because... <laughs> Everyone would love to hear the answer to that. <laughs> yes, I, I would certainly love to hear that as well. And yeah, so um, as we as we wrap up our conversation today, do you have any uh, suggestions, any any links you want me to include, or ref references, or uh, recommendations, or your own material that you would like to direct people to? Um. I, I would recommend cynical theories, uh, sorry, cynical therapies, <laughs> cynical theories as well. Yes. <laughs> uh -huh. Probably all of that, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, cynical therapies. There, yeah. There's a reason that there's there's a, a similarity <laughs> in titles, shall we say. Um, but yeah, um, if, you, if you could share that, I, I sure that will. would be fantastic because I think, I think obviously, you know, for, for anybody interested in psychology, um, in particular, obviously, the, the therapy aspect, um, I, I think it, it's essential reading, to be honest, um, for parents as well, you know, I think for anybody who either themselves or loved ones, you know, um, are struggling with their mental health, I, I, I strongly recommend reading it for that purpose. You know, just out of general interest, I think, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I, I think it's a readable book. Um, but I think it's so important from a psychological perspective that people are aware of what is happening and and as you're saying you know this this has happened very quickly and I think people are aware of it in the wider world to an extent mm -hmm. you know there is more discussion in the press of um you know cultural war issues but I think people haven't realized how much psychology has been taken over and by critical social justice and that I mean I can't overemphasize the danger of this you know mm -hmm. we have you know therapists generation you know generations of, of therapists now who are being trained in critical social justice so they are telling their clients you know um yeah basically you know your problems are because of your your group membership you know you are oppressed you know or alternatively you're an oppressor you have to atone for this you know you should feel damn guilty you should you know yeah. neither of which obviously yeah. are what therapists are doing but mm -hmm. you know they're they're teaching people how to be ill they're teaching people to look for microaggressions mm -hmm. they're teaching people to be fragile um they're teaching divisions i mean and goodness have the last few yeah. years told us nothing other than you know that you know division is bad for, for humanity you know and that is what they're encouraging um, is, is for people to, 
you know, look for problems with other people, you know, for people to hate other people, you know, and you think there is nothing more inappropriate for therapists and and psychologists to be doing than what they are doing now. And this is all because of critical social justice. And I really strongly can't emphasize that enough that, you know, if yourself or a loved one is, is struggling, please, please make sure that you are consulting with someone who is, is not, you know is not schooled in critical social justice you know ideally um come to someone who explicitly speaks out against it Mm -hmm. because these are the people who will help you get better they will help you get well if you go to someone who is endorsing um critical social justice um you know however it's worded be it critical theory you know queer theory um whatever if you're going to people who endorse that you are going to end up more ill or the people you love are going to end up more ill so um yeah I would say that's that's the key thing I recommend um our group critical therapy antidote which I know you're a member of as well Leslie um you know they can advise they they can you know if you contact them if if there's anybody you know wherever you are in the world if you say you know are there any therapists who I can turn to who can support me um you know we can put you in touch with that so yeah I guess that's my parting shot you know please I, as I say, I really can't overemphasize how important it is because already we have a lot of people really struggling and recent years events have um, have obviously worsened that. Um, but if therapy and psychology continues the way it's going to, we're going to have, you know, a crisis well beyond what we have at the moment. And and not even just in mental health, I think just with humanity, <laughs> you know, that doesn't sound too, sounds very um, exaggerated. But I think, you know, the divisiveness and the hatred that this theory promotes is, is very much, you know, putting us down that path. So. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to um to talk today. Honestly, I realize that I have talked a lot more than you. <laughs> well, that's but, the point. I'm, I'm delighted to hear think people get to tune in and hear me all the time. They don't get to hear you all the time. So I'm really happy to have you and and to have had the opportunity to have this conversation with you. And I hope we get to talk again in the future. It's me too so much. And and I would love to hear what what everybody, you know, if anybody um disagrees with me or has different perspectives I would really love to hear them as well because as you can tell I'm fascinated by this and you know and it's you know it's something that I think we need to try and figure out um between us somehow or other so so thank you for for giving me that opportunity to do you have uh any social links that you want to share for yourself or or um yeah I thank you if if that's okay um so my website um Sorry, I should I should know these things. I thought. Oh, my, yeah. I, th- I think I, I think I gave I gave them to you. you didn't I? I have the I have the website. I can read that out. It's uh, that would be perfect. Thank w- you. www dot k i r s t y hyphen miller m i l l e r dot com. Thank you. Thank and you so much. Any yeah. other yeah, so ones or just my, that one? That's my main one. Um, Save Mental Health is another one that we're developing. It's still in development, but um, again, it's probably more UK based, but it's it's one that we're developing. Um, so savementalhealth.com, okay. um, you'll get that there. And my Twitter is uh, just call me Kirsty uh, without the T. So just call me Kirsty because it's not long enough. <laughs> but again, okay. I'm sure you can, you can share, Leslie. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll put links to those in the, thank you in so the notes much. as well. Yeah. Thank you. But, um, it's been such a pleasure. And um, yeah, hopefully talk again anyway. <laughs> yes, I would love that. And thank you again. Thank you. <laughs>